Hello, fellow Robo Capitals. Hope you're well. So the truth about their master plan, the Great Reset Agenda. I want to talk about the World Economic Forum, the authoritarians and central planners, the people that I call the Malthusian cult. This master plan that they have, which I think is behind every single narrative they push, has been revealed by the Wall Street Journal. This just happened today. So I'm going to start by going back in time for those of you who don't know the history here. And then we're going to fast forward to today and go over this article from the Wall Street Journal, and that will connect all the dots for you. So if you have any of your friend and family member friends saying, oh, that Bill Gates guy, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, George, he's not that bad. Just go ahead and let them watch this video. First, let's start by going all the way back to Club of Rome. Now, a lot of people, when you talk about the Club of Rome, they're like, what? That's okay, Alex Jones. There's no Club of Rome. What, what nonsense. The Rockefellers? Yeah, whatever. Okay, yeah. Club of Rome is actually a thing. And they still exist today, by the way. And what is weird is the organization. Look at this, Josh. Since July of 2008, the organization based in Switzerland. Hmm, weird. There's another organization that's based in Switzerland. In fact, Josh, while we're going through this, um, can you look up really quick where Davos is? Just let me know if you can do that re that research as we're discussing. The Club of Rome was set up right here, 1965, the Italian industrialist industrialist Aurelio Pecci, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And you can see the first steps here is setting things up in 1968. The OECD held a symposium in Bellagio, Italy, in collaboration with the oh, Rockefeller Foundation. Imagine that, at which several new members joined the club. Hey, cool. Come on and join the club, guys. So what was this Club of Rome all about? Well, they summarized their views in a paper that came out in 1972 that pretty much rocked the world. It's what everyone was talking about in the scientific community. It was called The Limits to Growth. Let me just read a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to read the book, but just read the summary here from Wikipedia. The Club of Rome stimulated considerable public attention with the first report to the club, the limits of growth published in 1972, its computer simulations suggested that economic growth could not continue indefinitely because of resource depletion. Uh, moreover, it talked about how there was just too many people and not enough resources. It's basically the exact same concept that Thanos talks about in the Avengers movie. Remember, he wants to just snap his fingers and eliminate half the life in the universe? Why? He's doing us a favor. He's the only one with the balls to do it. And the reason he's doing this is obvious. There's just too many people and not enough resources. Thanos, I'm sure they got his character and his argument from the limits of growth, but he's just regurgitating this Malthusian nonsense that we've had for the last 200 years and has been prevalent with all of these central planet, all these global elite. It has been forefront behind the narratives that they 
that they uh, push, for lack of a better word, these narratives that they push in the mainstream media, you hear them all the time, whether it's Ursula at the EU, whether it's the uh, the BIS, the UN, Canada, the, most of the governments in the West, all these talking points are coming straight from the global elite, straight from the World Economic Forum. And they revolve around the ideas of the limits to growth, which evolved from the ideas of Thomas Malthus. So hence the Malthusian cult. But I know a lot of you right about now are saying, okay, George, I get what you're saying, but the connection with the World Economic Forum, the global elite, that's a little loosey-goosey. I'm not buying that. That's a stretch. Fantastic. Let's go right over to the World Economic Forum's website. And this is the history, their PDF, the history of the World Economic Forum's shaping their partners, I think is what they call this. Oh, a partner in shaping history. Well, that's what we want. We want the World Economic Forum and all the global elite shaping history. That doesn't sound too much like the 1930s and Germany and Russia and Italy. But anyway, <laughs> so Klaus, who is pictured here, young Klaus Schwab, he started this after attending Harvard, believe it or not. And he said many, many times that his favorite teacher at Harvard was a guy by the name of Henry Kissinger. Maybe you've heard of him. And it really opened his eyes up to geopolitics and the way the world really works and the way to gain and use power effectively in the modern world. So he starts this Davo, the World Economic Forum, which wasn't called World, world World Economic Forum at the beginning when he started it in 1971, 1972. It was called the European Management Symposium. I believe they changed the name in 1987 to the World Economic Forum. But right here, let's look at 1973. The Davos Manifesto. Their words, not mine. The Davos Manifesto. And by the way, Josh is a little slow today. Davos is in Switzerland. <laughs> just want to point just want to connect those dots before we move on at the third european management symposium the forum broadened its european focus under the themes shaping your future in europe this davos meeting was held under the honorary honorary sponsorship of his royal highness prince bernard of the netherlands so already i mean this thing's only been going on three years so basically the same amount of time that i've been doing rebel capitals live so what are the probabilities that i get prince charles to come to rebel rebel capitals live i'm guessing low what are the probabilities that i could get some world leader or something not that i'd want them there but let's just assume that i did the, the, the probability is zero. So it's weird that after three years only, the starting from scratch, Klaus some nobody, just like George Gammon. In fact, I probably had more of an audience, or I have and had more of an audience than Klaus had back then. So how is it after just three years that he can have these global leaders just flocking to his conference? I wonder if that had anything to do with Henry Kissinger. Nah. Anyway, getting back to the PDF, and, and let's remember, I'm going to go back and reiterate this. Very important. This is the Davos Manifesto. Very powerful words, and I don't think they're coincidental. Getting back to this. Two developments distinguish the Davos meeting. First, Aurelio Pecci, the 
Well, what? The Italian industrialist. Weird. There was another Italian guy, another industrial, exact same name. Would you look at that? Club of Rome, the exact same guy. He delivered a speech basically outlining the Davos Manifesto. And the speech centered around the limits to growth, which centers around Malthusianism, which centers around the idea that there are too many people and not enough resources. The exact same garbage you hear today from people like Bill Gates on his own YouTube channel. I'm not putting words in his mouth. He's talked about this many, 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 many times. He's lied about it too. I've discussed that in other videos. He's lied about certain facts and certain statistics. But let's go on here. A book that had been commissioned by the Club of Rome, the global think tank, that he founded and served as its president. The study had caused a sensation after its publication in 1972, calling into question the sensibility of global economic growth, reiterating some of the same concerns about demographics that the 18th century scholar Thomas Malthus had expressed. So I know a lot of you think I'm a, a little edgy and kind of tinfoil hatty every once in a while, but look, this is not George Gammon talking. All I'm doing is just the research and consolidating the information and giving it to you. That's it. So when I sit here and say that they are the Malthusian cult, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being funny. I'm not trying to make them seem foolish. I'm not being condescending. I'm not making fun of them. I'm simply just stating the actual facts based on what they say, based on what they've done, based on their own website. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options, Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with macroeconomics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Okay, so now let's move on to the Wall Street Journal. Because what we can see are the policies, these Malthusian policies now are starting to bear fruit. But unfortunately, as you would imagine, when people try to play God, there are unintended consequences. How China miscalculated its way to a baby bust. Not only a baby bust, but more importantly, an economic bust, where the standard of living most likely going to go down substantially in China. Now, maybe they'll pull their way out of it. I don't know, but it's going to be a rough road ahead. That is for sure. So what's really astonishing is the reason they came up with this one child policy and most people i don't think have ever connected the dots here but it was the it was the world economic forum it was this narrative that they started to push this manifesto in 1973 1973 
based on the limits to growth. What happened is all these scientists around the world started thinking about that and they started to say, oh, well, this is right on. But, you know, we're central planners and since we're smarter than everyone else, we need to come up with a solution to this problem because if the dumb rubes out there just have it their way, they're going to keep having kids and more and more of these kids and they're going to destroy the earth. So we have to take power. We have to take control away from them because they're just too ignorant to make their own decisions. But that stems from Klaus. That stems from the world, the uh, Club of Rome. That stems from Thomas Malthus, meaning China's one-child policy, which is now coming back to bite them in the ass. To, to put it mildly, let's go through this article. The rapid shift underway, the rapid shift underway today, wasn't projected by the architects of China's one-child policy. You don't say. Wow. You mean when human beings try to play God, there's unintended consequences? Who would have thunk? This was one of the biggest social experiments in history instituted in 1980. At the time, governments around the world feared overpopulation. Why? Because of Klaus. Uh, they feared uh, overpopulation to hold back economic growth and the demographic issues. And you see what they do is they try to dance around the, the demographic issues that the World Economic Forum themselves highlight in their their history. Why? Because it doesn't sound nice to say we want to kill people, which is effectively what their policy is. So a Moscow-trained missile scientist led the push for China's policy based on tables and calculations that applied mathematic models used to calculate rocket trajectories to population growth. And isn't it weird that today we're using all of these mathematical models to try to predict what will happen in, to the climate, almost unknowable, in, let's say, 100 years' time. It's weird that these scientists, although their mathematical models have failed over and over and over and over and over and produced catastrophic results, they still try to convince governments or convince their fellow man that their models are correct to the point where we should limit or that we should interfere with human hardwiring, right? I'm, I'm pulling up my phone right now because this reminds me of that fantastic Thomas Sowell quote that uh, I, I keep in my phone because it's just, I mean, it, it's just so powerful. Here it is. I'm reading it right from uh, the, my phone. There is usually only a limited amount of damage that can be done by dull or stupid people. For creating truly monumental disasters, you need people with high IQs. I give you Malthusianism. I give you the World Economic Forum and the one-child policy in China. Based on mathematical models from very, very, very high IQ people. The high IQ people that think they're smarter than all the dumb rubes in the real economy that actually wanted to have kids that would have prevented this problem to begin with. Let's get back to the article. In a generation that grew up without siblings, young women are increasingly reluctant to have children. So you mean people aren't these wooden automatons that you can just move around a chessboard and that will do whatever you want to do. You mean we can't plug people or how human beings are going to react into a mathematical model. Shocker. And they're uh, having fewer and fewer kids every single day. Beijing is at a loss to change the mindset brought about 
by this policy. Burrs in China fell by more than 500,000 last year, according to recent government data, accelerating the population drop that started in 2022. Officials cited a quick, quickly shrinking number of women childbearing age, more than 3 million fewer. See, what they thought is they could just, it was like a light switch. Oh, well, it's just one child. And then when we've got the right population due to the resources, we'll just switch it back on. People go back to having three or four kids. Again, the less, I don't even, look, even if you're not a Christian, I am a Christian. But even if you're not, you've got to see the danger in people playing, let's just say, Mother Nature. Or the danger of these high IQ people trying to mess with human hardwiring. That never ends well. Never. And it never will. Some researchers argue the government actually underestimates the problem. And the population began to shrink even earlier. And it will be basically an even bigger problem in the moving forward. So now look at this chart of projected Chinese population. Right now, we've, I don't know why it just turned black right there. Okay, maybe it didn't like my pointer. Anyway, right now, we've peaked out around, what, 1.4 billion? They're projecting by 2100, the popul- if I'm reading this right, the population of China will be 600 million. So less than 50% of what it is today. But yet, you've got Bill Gates out there with all of his spiffy charts saying that our biggest problem is that there's too many people and not enough resources. Our biggest problem is overpopulation. When if you actually look at the data, the real data with all the biggest countries, now you could say India is a little bit different. I get it. I get it. I get it. But the direction that we're heading here, we, the, the population problem is that we have too few people or we will have too few people, not too many people. And the reason I say that is because what happens, so this is one of the spins that Bill Gates likes to put on it to where you can tell that he's just full of full of BS. He'll say that, oh my gosh, the reason I want to make everybody healthy is because when they're healthy, they have more kids. Or excuse me, they have fewer kids. And then it's just a win-win because we want fewer kids. We want the whole world to have a one-child policy like China. Look at how well it worked there. And therefore, to do that, we need everybody healthy. That is just complete garbage. Nonsense. People have fewer kids when they get richer, not when they get healthier, for heaven's sake. It's when they get richer. So if we're to assume that India is going to be richer and richer and richer, they're going to have fewer and fewer kids to the point where they could be under this replacement level, maybe not now, but in the next 10 years, when if you extrapolate that into the next 100 years, they run into a problem that's very similar to uh, China. You see, so my point there is when Bill Gates comes out or Klaus or any of these Malthusians and says that we have too many people, you know they're lying to you. You, you know there's an ulterior motive, right? Or you realize that they are just so hell-bent on destruction that they've convinced themselves that this really is the problem when it, we have the opposite problem. So they say China's fertility rate is approaching one birth for every woman, less than half the 2.1 replacement rate. The population needs to be stable. In the late 1970s, and you know that this isn't a cultural problem. You could say, oh, George, maybe it's just the Chinese. No, 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 no. Or else how the hell did they get 1.4 billion people to begin with? But no, back in the 1970s, their fertility rate hovered around three. And then the social scientists, the the basically the, the, the global elite, the central planners, the authoritarians came in 
and worked their magic with all their mathematical models. And it basically convinced them that the solution, uh, it convinced them that what would end up being catastrophic was the actual solution to the problem, assuming that their intentions are good. So here's some propaganda. Looks like from this one-child policy, some sort of propaganda billboard. Here we go. Population fears. China wasn't the only country worried about overpopulation. This takes us right back to the Club of Rome and the World Economic Forum, which is kind of the genesis of this narrative, or at least the popular, uh, the, the popularizing of this narrative. China wasn't the only country worried about overpopulation at the time. The rapid rise in the global population in the 1960s and 70s prompted fears that humanity would reduce reproduce faster than food production could rise. Thanos. It's just, it's Thanos, guys, at the end of the day. An idea argued nearly two centuries earlier by economist Thomas Malthus. Why do I call him the Malthusian cult? There you go. And am I being hyperbolic? No. I think I'm being totally, totally fair. I think that's the most accurate way that you can describe them. So it says Chinese officials were increasingly uh, reviving scientific research we just you got to follow the science, guys. If there's one thing that we've learned from 2020 and beyond, it's you got to follow the science. And the science is whatever the central planners tell us the science is. In 1975, Song had been part of a Chinese academic delegation visiting the University of Twenty in the Netherlands, where he got to know the Dutch mathematician Gert Jan Alsder. Three years later, the two met second time. In Finland. Oh, I'd be curious about this. This guy's now 80 years old. So now I wonder what he thinks of his great policies. So now he's 80, said he talked about how his research with other math- mathematicians had been inspired by the warnings of finite global resources. I wonder where they got those warnings. If you're not following this, if you're just tuning in, they got those warnings from Klaus. They got those warnings for what was the precursor to the World Economic Forum. They got those warnings from Klaus and his. Davos Manifesto of 1973. So, I mean, you could, you can, I think it's a very fair argument to blame Klaus and the World Economic Forum for what's happening in China right now. How could you not blame them? So Song spoke with the others. I wish they'd go into what this guy thinks of his policies today. I guess he's still alive. He's got to look at this and just say, whoops, sorry, my bad. Song spoke with others in fluent English and showed a clear interest in mathematical modeling. When will we ever learn as human beings? You know, if you're not Christian, you might not know this story, but it reminds me of the story in the Bible. Uh, well, it's Old Testament, so the, the Jews will know this as well, uh, of the uh, story of Babel. And uh, for those of you who aren't religious or anything or uh, haven't studied this part of the Bible, uh, it, it's basically where this king thought he wanted to be a god. So he built this tower to go up into the sky. Uh, you know, I don't remember the story exactly, but basically he built this tower because he wanted to get up the sky to where he could be like a god or he wanted to talk to God. And uh, what happened is that didn't work out well because the real creator said, yeah, no, I don't think so, buddy. Uh, you're getting a little too big for your britches here. So we're going to have to dish you out a little bit of this humble pie and make everyone speak a different language so you can't build your stupid building. And you may believe that it was real or maybe it didn't happen, but the bottom line is the story is incredibly powerful. And it's a story that if we just take to heart, we realize the dangers in all of this social 
engineering that, like I've said before, we as human beings don't have the capability to manipulate or to try to manipulate our own hardwiring. It always ends badly, just like the Tower of Babel. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. See you in the next video.